how do you sell without selling? So when you put enough of yourself out there, people kind of take a gauge of who you are and what you do. They go, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. Oh, I got some great value from that. Let me see what else they have. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm so, so excited about the incredible guest that's going to be joining us today, a legend in the field of education, speaking about multiple streams of income, how to get over any resistance when it comes to selling without selling. And the man I've had a chance to see him speak on a Mind Valley stage not too long ago in Dubai was able to blow away the audience and share so much actionable insights that I had to have him come on the show and be with all of you today. John Lee is with me. And if you're not familiar with this man, he has shared the stage with the likes of Bill Clinton, Richard Branson, and Randy Zuckerberg. Has been featured in publications you might have heard of, such as Wall Street Journal, BBC, and Forbes. The man actually started off as humble beginnings in England. Chinese immigrant family came to England and now has built an empire, has really cracked the code to wealth building. And we are here to dive in his journey talk about selling with love and so much more. John, welcome to the show. Jason, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait. This is a topic I'm hugely, hugely passionate about because if you're not selling, you're not serving. And so I really, really want to share some insights of things I've learned over the last 20 years. So I can't wait. All right. Well, I'm going to jump right into it. And I got to ask with this kind of like buzz question, right? Because I see a lot of people that are like, yeah, you have to be a millionaire before you're 30. Not a lot of people actually do it. You did by 27. So you beat the mark by 30. And I'd be curious to know, like when you look at your own journey and you hear about this message of making lots of money at a young age, what are some of the key things you were able to do that you're like, you know what? I made it. Well, you have to understand, I mean, there's a difference between making money and creating wealth. And so what is the difference? And, you know, it's interesting because even my journey right now, you know, how do you go from becoming a millionaire to a billionaire. I've got a lot of friends and you know some of these people you know as well. And these people, they do things very differently. And it's actually the more money you make, actually the less you work. And it sounds really like, you know, when you hustle, when you're you know, starting a business, you've got a market, you have to sell, you've got all the different hats and you're the operator, you are the CEO, you are the admin person, you're the receptionist, you're the customer service. And so when we're starting off, it's a very different mindset. One of the things I realized early on was... If you want to make money, you have to help people. If you want to make money, you have to serve. And you heard me use that word before, like selling is serving. And so, as you mentioned before, a lot of people have this sort of reluctance, right? It's like, you know, when you ask people, salespeople to make a call, like they're shuffling around papers, they're going to make a cup of tea. And it's almost like they become, you know, sales prevention. (laughs) So I realized that early on, if you want to, earn more income, you want to earn more money, then it's really important that you have to find out how to solve people's problems. And I want to dig into that because there's so many people that I come across to me and they're trying to actually solve some problems, but they're actually working at, let's say, a consumer level. 
And oftentimes, especially those who go maybe in consulting, coaching, and service-based business, they're trying to often help someone that might be an earlier version of themselves before they solve that problem in their life as well. And the person at that stage might not be necessarily at an income level where they can pay for premium products and services. And so you're trying to serve, but the clients you're trying to reach might not have disposable income. And the impact you get to make from solving these problems at that scale often doesn't lead to a change in your own financial situation. I'd be curious to ask you, when you talk about serving, do you have a particular group of people you suggest people to look at and look for to be able to solve big problems that can actually generate a lot of wealth in the process? So here's the interesting point about this, Jason. This whole saying of, if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. And I used to believe that, which meant that you've probably heard this saying, oh, you know, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. You've probably heard that saying. Actually, in today's market, as an entrepreneur or as a solopreneur for people who listen to this podcast now, you have to think about there has to be something for everyone because the market changes. For example, you'll notice, you know, when there's a recession, there is less spending power, which means your sales cycle gets longer. So does it still work? Of course it does, but it's slower to collect the money. If you're selling a high ticket item, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000, then there's a certain pocket of a, I guess, your avatar that can afford that. And these are typically people who are business owners. They're already doing over seven figures. They've been in business for over five or 10 years. They're looking to scale. They already have a team of 50 people working in their organization. So actually you have to categorize and segment your audience and to basically offer things to them that are, I guess, affordable to them as well. So we have everything from, you know, a $7 a month membership to a hundred thousand. So it's like this massive range. And so that's why whenever you're selling something, you have to know who you're selling to. Is this person a startup? Are they just starting off? Are they in a full-time job? Are they looking to start a business, grow a business? Are they in hybrid mode where they're lighting on sort of a job? So depending on that, it's depending on what you want to offer. Well, given that you have such a range of things that you sell people at various stages as well, I'd be curious to know, like, you mentioned $7 membership. I would assume that something that's so accessible to the masses often helps for those who have maybe the most, you know, entry-level hurdles towards success, growth, entrepreneurship. I personally see people's first hurdle is often sales reluctance. And I'd be curious to know, what are some of the biggest challenges you see when people get started with their own journey in entrepreneurship? You know, I'm going to say this and people are going to probably criticize me for this, but most people that start have no idea what they're doing. Like, do you know how many times I get pitched and they say, oh, John, I have this great idea, right? I'm just going to go gung-ho and do it. Yes and no. Like, I have a lot of friends in Silicon Valley, and the way they do things is very different. People ask me, well, John, how can a napkin idea can raise millions of dollars, right? And still be loss-making and still be valued in the hundreds of millions? Well, it all comes down to, you know, the plank. It all comes down, you probably heard this, the deck, right? So there's this Silicon Valley playbook, which I've, you know, been again, studying for many, many years to see how people do things. And so when people start the hurdle, yes, I agree is, is, you know, because selling comes in all forms. It's not just, you know, I'm going to sell you something. You're going to sell me this clicker, right? It's selling a vision. It's selling somebody to come on and work for your team. It's selling investors, the projections. It's selling when people are looking at your deck. When people pitch me, you know, there's two types of pictures. You've got big picture and small picture, right? Big pictures like, okay, if I'm going to pitch John Lee, you know, I've got this thing that's going to change the world to using these three things. 
Whereas, you know, if I'm detailed person, it's like, you know, John, I've got this incredible idea and, you know, week one is going to do this. The projection for year one and Q1 is this. It's like, well, I'm confused because I'm not even listening. So I find that actually one of the biggest problems I see is that people actually don't even know what they're doing when they get it. They've got, they've got an idea, but when you question them, okay, so who's on the team, right? Who's the CTO on there? Well, I don't have a CTO. Okay. Well, what market segment are you, you know, solving? Oh yeah. Um, females age 25 to 55. Well, that's a big range, right? Okay. So who are these people? Oh, well, they're in the, when you delve deeper into it, they can get past maybe layer one, two or three. When you get to level 10, layer 10, they can't answer it. And that's what a lot of people and myself included, I've done this as well. Just go going home to business. And don't get me wrong. You, of course, you can still make money doing that. But it's like when you get to a scale phase, it just ends up becoming a mum and pop business rather than a global business. So you got to sometimes take a little step back before you can boost forward. I want to kind of dig in one of the things you said towards the end there, which is, you know, there's times that you need to take action as opposed to be kind of in this endless analysis because I do think customer research is so important, but I often seen, you know, as entrepreneurs, we go into our little box and we start doing research by ourselves and then we form all of these ideas, but we're not going out there speaking to people. And I find that only happens from action. And so do you have any kind of rule of thumb on how to balance that kind of research on your own versus research by doing, discovering, and being out there? So here's the saying, launch fast, fail fast, launch fast, fail fast. So it's always this up and down spiral. Right. So for example, when someone's creating a deck, they only create one version of the deck. Right. So when you're going out, your pictures, we must ask you a question. Okay. What's your projections for this year? Oh, the projection is this. How did you drive that figure? Uh, uh, oh, well, this is what we think. Okay. It's not what you think is have you tested it? So each part of the phase you put in there, you need to be backed up with proof. Okay. So the projections will be this. The reason we can do that is because this widget costs, you know, $2 to produce. And because of that, we can then extrapolate to here and based on critical mass, we can get the, you know, so this thought that's gone into it. And unfortunately, sometimes the problem with entrepreneurs is we are gone the whole, we just go straight into it. And I'm, I'm guilty of this, by the way, every business, that's why you got to have a strong team around you. So you just hold your horses for a second. Okay. You want to do that. Let's test that market segment out, fail fast on it, iterate the deck, go to something else, iterate that deck. And so actually when you have something very well and methodically thought out, it's much easier to execute. So that's why sometimes you have to go slower to go faster. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like procrastinate forever. Like if you come up with an idea, test it right away. I've got this big whiteboard here, right? And every time I have an idea, I just turn the whiteboard around and start sketching it out, right? So straight away, I'm executing and I test it. I test the feedback. Okay, we have this idea. Okay, let's see how people take this. Let's see what questions people ask. And based on that, we always... Reiterating, okay, version one, version 1.1, version 1.2, until we get to two, version two. So it's always iterations of something. That's why when people come to me and they want investment, say, John, I've got this great idea and they want to invest. And I say, well, the first thing is, do you have a deck? And they say, no. I say, send me a deck. My email is john at johnlee.com. And that, that's the first test to see if the deck actually comes through, right? Do you know? Jason, you would not believe that will filter out probably about 95% of people. They don't even have a deck. How can you grow a business with something you don't even have a vision for? So hold on, John. So when you speak about a deck, because for some, maybe this is the first time they hear the term, is a deck the same as a business plan? Similar, but it's basically the whole point of the deck is to get the vision across. It's not to close the deal. 
right? So when someone comes to with an idea, yeah, they can talk all they want, right? First thing I look at the deck, okay, what pain point? And actually, just for your audience, there's actually 11 steps. When I was going through this the other day, and I don't mind sharing this with your audience, I think it's going to be super valuable. But you've got things like, okay, what problem are you solving? That's the main part. What's the pain point? Like when you're selling and you're talking about selling with love, this is how you can sell without selling. Just basically solve a problem. What is the pain? Like when I first started in real estate, you asked me what was the main pain point I was solving? I was solving timeframes of when people could sell their property. Because in the UK, it takes between six to 12 months to complete and transact on a property. But what if I can shorten that down and do it in 30 days? Right? What do I get for that? I get a discount to the market. So you got to solve a pain point. Your value proposition, for me, it was speed. Market size, there are lots of properties in, here in the UK, right? Team, who's on the team right now? So for us, you know, we've got a good legal team. We have, you know, conveyancing. We have the marketing team. We have the sales team. You've got to have your team. You can't be the person doing everything, right? Although when people start, they have to start off like that. That's why if you do it the other way, like we always look at before we invest in a company, is there a co-founder? Right. If the answer is yes, right, all the core founder skills complementary. So it's much easier for them to implement. Right. What's the competition? What's the revenue model? Is it a SaaS? Is it a subscription? Is it a one-time fee? Are they going to be doing scale at all costs? Meaning they're going to be in burn rate. How much traction have they got? Right. What's their projections? Right. And you're going to have like a low worst case, medium case, high case basis. Right. Okay, let's say you're raising funds. What do you need the money for? Explain it. So there's all these different things that when people pitch me ideas, I ask them simple questions that they cannot answer. That's when I know they haven't thought about it. So I'm not investing. You know, what I take from this is the exercise itself of creating the deck at least makes you hit the points that you should be thinking about. And I maybe want to just add a caveat to what you're saying here, which is even if you're not in a position to go raise money, the concept of you putting the vision together in a deck has become a tool that can be used for your marketing. Like the About Us page is probably going to share your vision. You're talking about trying to hire great quality staff. Usually high quality talent wants to work on something important and your deck again will reiterate that. So would you say that you recommend this exercise for anybody that's getting into entrepreneurship, regardless if they're raising or not? Yeah. I mean, look, sometimes the people around us, you know, we're entrepreneurs and people think we're crazy. Right? But what if you could articulately explain what you're doing? Like, for example, you know, in the early days, my life partner didn't understand what I was doing. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's this thing you're doing? I don't get it. Imagine if I had a deck to say, oh, well, this is a nine slide deck, right? And here, here's our vision. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're trying to solve. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how much money we're going to make. Here's how long it's going to take. And it's like all these different, oh, now I get it. So you're much more likely, like, you know, I have people that attend a lot of our courses and training programs and, you know, they are a sizable investment and they'll go back to the partners and go, oh, I want to sign up for this. And they'll look at the pricing. Oh, well, that must mean, you know, and then so, the, but if you had something, go back, well, this is what we're going to do. You've got to have a vision and everyone's going to be on board when you're hiring people into your team. Okay. I want to work for your company. Why do you want to work for my company? I don't know. I just want a job and get paid. You don't want those type of people on your company. Whereas someone comes and say, you know, John, I don't even need the money. I get paid way more than what you're paying me right now. But here's why I want to join. Your vision is this. I want to do this. And here's the value I can add to it. It's very different, Jason. So again, sales skills, everything we're talking about right now, what we call about selling with love, selling with authenticity, selling because, you know, you know that what you're selling is going to 
make an impact to the world and it's for the greater good. It's not just for you to make money. Amen to that. I have to share a funny story though. You talked about like having a dick in a personal relationship. When I went off some of the first dates with my current partner, I actually put, you could almost call this a deck for my personal life and all the categories of my life. And if those of you are familiar with the life book process at Mind Valley, I basically went to this person like third date and I just said like, here's my plan. And in there is a vision of what I want in my relationship. Have a look at it. And then we can decide if we want to invest in this together. Cause you know, your significant other happens to be one of the most important business decisions of your life as well. And so I could see with that amount of clarity and how much it was so much clearer when someone knew exactly where you are, where you want to go. And I think in business, the stakes are high and being able to take the time to put that together. But, you know, what if I'm feeling like I'm at the beginning stages and I don't have all the answers? Like, it seems like I'm at a stage where I might not have had enough tests and it seems almost intimidating. Like, I wouldn't want to feel stuck and just not do anything because I'm looking at this hurdle of creating a deck and it feels like it's impossible right now. What are usually advice you would give to someone who's coming towards that kind of roadblock? Well, think about it. You've got to start that a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, right? So the most basic question I ask people is, what do you want? And they can't answer the question. <laughs> it's such a basic question. What do you want? What's the outcome? What are you looking to achieve? Right? And so at least start there. And that's why you see so many people, they ping pong around, they do a bit of this, bit of this, bit of that, bit of that, and they never end up doing anything. And they end up starting that learning curve again. But if they get really clear on this, okay, I want to get into an industry. I'll give an example, right? So one thing that I'm working on right now is if you look at something like, you know, when we network with people, right? It's so random how you network with people. I mean, you and I have been to some big events, you know, thousands of people. And okay, who do you speak to? Like you only speak to the people sometimes at random or that I just happen to be standing by the toilets or by the burger van and someone's there. Or I just happen to be in the speaker room and this person comes because we're about to go on stage. It's very random. But what if I could, you know, click a button to find all the people that I want to spend time with, right? What if I could, you know, send a notification out to say, hey, you know what? Any one of you that have a startup and you're looking for investment, right? Put your details in and bang, it would tell you who to speak to. And imagine going to an event where you get a sticker and anyone with a sticker might have like a blue sticker, a, a white sticker, yellow sticker. And so everyone who's interested in that thing, they have a yellow sticker. So you seem to look around the room now and say, oh, you got a yellow sticker. Okay, let's talk. Right? So I'm always looking at efficiencies, like even things like blockchain technology, right? If you look at how you make a purchase, right? As an entrepreneur, you have to buy things then you always ask for the receipt, right? And then you got to take all those receipts and then give them to your accountant, which is great. And it's, it's annoying sometimes. You don't know where you put the receipts. And now there's technology where you can take a picture and it sends it automatically. But wouldn't it be great if you could just, as soon as you purchase on your phone, it's automatic. I'm always looking for friction points in processes and seeing how you can make that process frictionless. I have this like, call it a perpetual war with waste, right? Like you're explaining this and it causes me anxiety to hear about these wasteful non-value add. And, you know, I often share the story of when I was a kid, I'm from Canada and, you know, the snow melts in the springtime. And when I was a kid, I would always see when the snow's melting, the water would be like flowing downstream, but it would get stuck, you know, because there'd be some little ice cubes that would stop it. And I'd be putting on my rubber boots, grabbing a little pick shovel and trying to make the most efficient path. So that way the water would flow faster. And now it's like, when I think of sales, I think of any transaction or a business that needs to operate. I'm always trying to do the same thing. So what you're sharing right now speaks close to my heart. And 
I think those are some of the biggest opportunities that exist today because there's so much areas where there's waste and there's new technologies that are really changing the way that we get to operate. And so given that you're often looking into startups, you're looking at these different businesses, are there certain areas, whether it's like technology of a specific kind or a type of startup that you're particularly excited about for the next three years? So here's the thing, we're at Web2 right now, right? And now transitioning to Web3, we're not there yet. We'll get there much faster. So we're right in between this Web 2.5. People listening to John, what does this have to do with sales? Because here's the thing, if you understand how each industry works, Web 3 is all about community building, right? When you look at sales in the traditional sense, I'm going to sell something to someone in exchange for money, right? But what if that process of sales could all be scaled? I'll give an example. Let's say right now we're on Jason's podcast and to be able to listen to this podcast, you have to own an NFT from Jason, right? So Jason's got the sales NFT. NFT is, a, is basically like a JPEG, it's like a sticker. Think of it as a virtual sticker. So we have this virtual sticker and because I've got this virtual sticker on, I can now listen in on Jason's podcast and I get to get a, a lot of value from that. Now, what that also, that this virtual sticker also allows me, I also get a recording of Jason's podcast, right? So they get a, a version of that. Or from time to time, some of Jason's audience can also own a particular episode, right? So when you know there is new technology, that means you have to learn new ways to sell it. Why does this NFT work? Because the more people that buy this virtual sticker, the more demand it has. And maybe Jason only has 10 stickers. Now it creates supply and demand. So what's happening now is you're creating an ecosystem where you as the person coming in, selling it can produce way more end result than selling one thing. And I always say this, I used to say this for a lot of the membership stuff that we do, the effort that it takes you to sell something once and get paid once, it's the same effort that it takes you to sell something once and get paid over and over and over again. That's why I talk a lot about recurring income. But if you understand the new technology side of it, so you've probably heard of blockchain. Blockchain is just a digital ledger, right? For example, you know, by understanding these technologies, you can now sell it differently. So that's why you see a lot of people have their own tokens. Right? Eventually, everybody will have their own tokens. UK are talking about having a Bitcoin. So all of our pound currencies now being, being transferred into a digital currency. So if you know that, how do you sell it? So Jason comes out with a new token, right? It's called the Jason podcast token, for example. Um, and when you launch it, you know, it's not mass market yet. So that's why if you have a community of people listening and then all this podcast gets millions of downloads, like literally all these people now can become supporters of the podcast. And the more people that buy the token, the higher the token goes. And now everybody as a whole makes money. So now you're all selling it. So there's so many, I mean, there's so many different ways to, to do this, but you asked me about technology. If you understand technology, then you can sell it differently rather than just selling just a widget. That's really interesting because what you're saying is like the underlying technology such as blockchain right now is going to create an absolutely new medium of exchange that we've never seen before. And so it's kind of hard to predict exactly how it will turn out, but you're already seeing these use cases and business cases that are coming out of possibilities for brands to go out and monetize in a different way that we haven't seen before. And, you know, yourself, John, like you have millions of followers yourself and, you know, I'm sure you've been quite conscious in putting yourself out there and building your personal brand in the process. And I, I wanted to kind of speak more to that as to how high up the priority list for anybody who's looking to be an entrepreneur, should they be working on putting themselves out there 
and becoming a personal brand in the process? Well, first of all, it's really important you put yourself out there, whether it's you, your brand, or your product. That's why I said there's three types of brands. You've got your personal brand. Think of Elon Musk as a personal brand, right? He's everywhere. But if you don't want to put your, yourself on there personally, you can put your business out there. Like, so Tesla would be a brand. And if you don't want to do that, you can put a product out there, which would be like a Model X. You want to sell? How do you sell without selling? So when you put enough of yourself out there, people kind of take a gauge of who you are and what you do. They go, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. Oh, I got some great value from that. Let me see what else they have. A lot of people will go to johnlee.com, for example, and they'll see, okay, well, who is John Lee? I've never heard of this guy before. Jason's just put him on his podcast. Okay, and then they start watching different videos. Then they'll see content. Then they'll join the community. Then they'll probably come see me speak at a live show. And then they might send me a deck saying, hey, I've got this incredible idea. Can you fund this like there's so many opportunities that come from it and it's not just sale i mean yeah i make a post and i get a lot of people you know sending me dms sending me me emails sending me messages and all these come to me and they do result in business but here's the key to this and this is a secret that i've learned jason you don't make money from social media you make money from the opportunities that come from social media so for example i'm only on this podcast because of social media right because you know, Vision and Mind Value team saw me. They sold one of my social media invites to become a speaker. I've gave great value. I met you backstage and here we are. And someone can to this and you never know. It could be the next unicorn listening to this. It could be the next ICO or IDO or token launch that someone says, Oh, John, you know, I've got this game I'm building. It's the new metaverse. And, you know, I'm going to airdrop you. So airdrop means that they basically give you free tokens. Do you know how many people in the olden days, Jason, used to attend these Bitcoin conferences? some 10 plus years ago. And when you attended, they gave you a, like a piece of paper with your seed phrase on there, which was basically for the wallet of your Bitcoin, right? So you got that one Bitcoin for going. And back then it was like, they were worth like pennies and people would take the seed phrase and just throw them away. They just threw away <laughs> thousands of dollars. So you never know which one of these tokens. And that's why all of you should really have a wallet where people can airdrop you stuff, right? Do you know how many people have airdropped NFTs to my friends, and I and, and NFT is a non-fungible token. It's basically a JPEG, and it goes into the wallet. It's like an email. You got an email. People can send you stuff. Right? Airdrop is a wallet where people can drop stuff in your wallet. Right? It's just it's the same process as me sending you an email. So let's say you had a wallet, Jason. I said, Hey, I've got a jolly NFT coming out. I'm gonna send it to your wallet like I would an email, but instead of it being text, it'd be a picture of me doing this. Right? <laughs> and maybe the picture of me doing this. Right? You have to have one of them to enter my next show where we have a private meeting in the green room. So then it has value. So this is where selling is so important because you have to sell the vision and sell the process on how that whole process is delivered and executed. I know some of your background was actually in real estate, but it sounds like right now you're most enthusiastic and excited about these blockchain technologies. And so most people might be looking at it right now and being maybe a little pessimistic because we had a market correction. And I'd love to know, since this seems to be a field you're so passionate about, what do you see in this industry coming up for the next few years? As I mentioned to you, Jason, I always look for the easiest way to get in and out of something and the place with the least friction points and the place where there's no competition. So even with real estate, you can buy real estate using Bitcoin now. Right? The UK was one of the first places seven plus years ago, you could buy 50% of a piece of property using Bitcoin. Now, can you imagine, Jason, all the people that are getting paid dollars, 
right, for their services. Imagine, like, I have a friend of mine who's a lawyer and he only gets paid in cryptocurrency, right? He said, you know what? You want my services? Pay me a quarter of a Bitcoin. Pay me half a Bitcoin. You know how wealthy this guy is right now? Now, of course, with hindsight, it could have gone the other way, of course. But that's why you have to see what is the trend and where is the future innovation? And I think, you know, you're from Canada, so you, you'll know the same, right? Wayne Gretzky. Why is he such the best? Why is he the best hockey player in the world, right? Because he doesn't go to where the puck is. He goes to where the puck is going to go. So I can see quite often where the puck is going to go because I get to hang around incredible minds. I get to network with them. I get to sit down and have coffee and have dinner with these guys and, and gals and just listen to what's, and the general consensus is based on the things I'm talking to you about. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about cryptocurrencies here, right? Although that's a big part of tokenization. I'm talking about people get mixed up with Web3 being blockchain, being NFTs, and being cryptocurrencies. No, you know, when smart contracts came out, which is basically a way to have a digital ledger on, on things, people obviously applied it to cryptocurrencies because it was full transparency, right? So you ask me, what am I excited about? I'm excited because everything I'm talking about now requires sales skills. It requires you to be able to articulate it. It requires you to be able to be convicted with it because you know selling is serving. Like if you're excited about something, you sell automatically without having to sell because it's the enthusiasm. It's the, it's like, I don't want to be a part of that. That's really where, you know, you, when we come talk about selling with love, Selling with love is selling with passion and selling with conviction and selling with that in every cell in your body that you believe it. And so, and, and it may not work. It may not, but you've got to just, you've got to take that punt. That's why when you heard me at the event, I talked about the formula about wealth, 30, 30, 30, 10, 30% into real estate, 30% into your own business, 30% as a pre-seed rounds and 10% moonshots. So if you're able to do it that way, you can see that you can capture every single opportunity. I'm just kicking myself that back then when people said, oh, you should invest in these tokens and these things, like I just thought, and I didn't understand it. So I said, oh, it's a scam, right? So even my friends around me now seeing the things that I'm doing because they don't understand it, say, oh, yeah, it sounds like a scam, right? But you must be very, very you got to do your own research. You have to test it. And sometimes it means burning a bit of money first. I mean, I've burned a lot of money testing things out, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's businesses, whether it's, you know, tokens or NFTs. Like you got to, what's the word? You know, once bitten, twice shy, but switch it the other way. John, this has been a fantastic conversation. It's very interesting as well, because I usually ask at the end of every conversation what selling with love means to you. And you've already answered saying about the passion that comes and when you're convicted about something. And what I took away from this conversation the most for everybody listening is, number one is, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, like show at least some level of seriousness. And I think putting together the deck is one of the most important pieces you can put together so you can have that clarity of vision, which comes at the foundation of every entrepreneurial journey. Whether you're raising money or not, having that piece together will be there to help you sell to clients, get your first customers, get your first employees, and really sell yourself as to why you get up every morning and chose a path that might be more risky, but obviously yields massive rewards and can be very fulfilling in the process. We talked about some of the innovative technologies that John is looking into and is super excited about, whether it's on this blockchain technology and all of these things that are removing friction and, in essence, when we are in business, we're finding these opportunities to remove friction so that we can be more efficient and create value in the marketplace. 
As a fun bonus, I really like the idea of making sure if you have a wallet in place, this allows you to always be someone that is prepared to receive opportunities that come your way. I think a lot of times we miss out on great opportunities because we decided to not even take the time to be curious and to set up the mechanisms that can make you be open to receive. And I think if you're not opening yourself to be receptive to any opportunity that comes by, then you're lost even before you've started. John has been a mentor to thousands and has been continuing to share amazing insights for those who are on the path of entrepreneurship. Biggest takeaway of all is to remember, in John's word, selling is serving. So please, for everyone, go out there, keep selling with love, and keep serving. And John, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. For everybody who wants to go deeper, make sure you look at John underscore Lee underscore official on Instagram, as well as johnlee.com, where you can find more trainings, more resources, and all the exciting stuff that he's been up to and will be up to. And of course, if you pitch him, get a deck ready. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.